We're on a thousand planets and spreading out. Afternoon and welcome to the Fantastic Forum. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. As always, we'll begin the show with some genre-related news. On a Thursday earnings call, Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zaslav announced that newly installed studio leaders Mike DeLuca and Pam Abdi have brokered a deal to make multiple films based on the beloved J.R.R. Tolkien books. The projects will be developed through WB label New Line Cinema. HBO, HBO Max, and Discovery Plus added 1.1 million subscribers in the final quarter of the year to end 2022 with 96.1 million worldwide. That's up from the 95 million combined global streaming customers Warner Brothers Discovery reached between July 1st and September 30th, the quarter during which Game of Thrones prequel House of the Dragon premiered. Details about the upcoming combined HBO Max Discovery Plus streamer, which does not yet have a name, launch date or pricing details will be revealed at an April 12th press day. According to numbers released Thursday by the video game company, Hogwarts Legacy earned $85 million in global sales and moved over 12 million units in its first two weeks post-launch on PlayStation 5, Xbox Series XS, and PC. That marks the biggest global launch ever for the Warner Brothers Discovery-owned brand. With the Harry Potter action role-playing game also setting the Twitch record for single-player games with 1.28 million peak concurrent viewers at launch. How about that? From its launch on February 10th through February 21st, the game enjoyed record-setting player engagement exceeding 267 million hours played. Warner Brothers Discovery said in a statement, Additionally, there has been an increase of global franchise fan engagement overall, with Wizarding World Digital garnering 300% higher traffic over the normal monthly unique visitor average for the first 10 days of February. Okay. i got to get more into this gaming thing. Nominations opened yesterday for the Ringo Awards. The Mike Ringo Comic Book Industry Awards is an annual celebration of the creativity, skill, and fun of comics. The Ringo Awards welcomes fan participation in the nomination process along with an esteemed jury of comics professionals. Open voting ends on May 11th. The Ringos are handed out at an awards dinner during the Baltimore Comic Con. If there is a project or talent you'd like to nominate, visit the website at ringoawards.com. That's R I N G O 
A-W-A-R-D-S dot com. Some castings reported earlier this week as Steven Yoon joins Marvel's Thunderbolts. Fans will remember Yoon from his work on AMC's The Walking Dead as Glenn. No word on whom Yoon will portray. And the Umbrella Academy on Netflix is adding Nick Offerman, Megan Mullaney, and David Cross to the cast for the show's fourth and final season on Netflix. Offerman and uh, Mullaney, who are real-life married couple, will play doctors Gene and Gene Thibodeau. The characters are described as, and I quote, a married pair of community college professors from New Mexico who wear sensible footwear and suffer from the most extreme case of deja vu this timeline has ever seen, unquote. Cross will play Cy Grossman, described as, and I quote, an upstanding shy business owner and family man desperate to reconnect with his estranged daughter who will stop at nothing to get her back. Some recent deaths as manga artist Lihi Matsumoto passed away on February 13th. Matsumoto was best known to genre audiences as the creator of several anime series including Space Pirate Captain Harlock and Galaxy Express 999. He also worked on Space Battleship Yamoto and was the creator of its manga series spinoff. He was 85. And composer Gerald Freed died on February 17th. He was known for his work on such genre projects as Star Trek The Original Series, Lost in Space, The Man from Uncle, and numerous others. Freed was 95. Some recent anniversaries, as February 6th marked 80 years since the first appearance of Batman's butler, Alfred, in Batman issue number 16 on that date in 1943. And the TV pilot movie Babylon 5, The Gathering, premiered 30 years ago on February 22nd, 1993. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania earned $120 million at the domestic box office in the President's Day holiday weekend. The movie's opening exceeded expectations and made it the first $100 million opening of 2023. Although it appears this first installment in Marvel's Phase 5 could see a record drop from its opening week of as much as 70%. Yikes and horror comedy Cocaine Bear took in $8.6 million on its opening day, including Thursday previews. The horror comedy is projected to earn between $15 and $17 million this weekend. We have reviews of both coming up right now, starting with Cocaine Bear. Let's take a listen. Ulysses Campbell for Fantastic Forum. Cocaine Bear, the horror farce from director Elizabeth Banks, is a schlock comedy that some will find appealing. Loosely based on a true story, it exploits its own absurdity in a cringe-filled spectacle of gore and guts. The film opens with a drug smuggler dumping his cargo of cocaine from an airplane before attempting to escape with about 80 pounds strapped to his body. 
The smuggler is killed when his parachute fails to open. Bob, a detective from the local police, believes the smuggler is from the crew of drug dealer Sid. Sid sends his son Eddie and trusted henchman David to recover the lost coke. Meanwhile, youngster Dee Dee is upset that her mom, Sari, has canceled their excursion to a favorite outdoor spot. Dee Dee cuts school with her pal Henry to visit the attraction on their own. Unbeknownst to all, a large black bear has unintentionally ingested some coke and gone on a murderous rampage, beginning with two hikers. The cops, crooks, and teens converge on the forest and find themselves at the mercy of the rampaging animal. Cocaine Bear stars Carrie Russell, Alden Ehrenrich, O'Shea Jackson Jr., Ray Liotta, Isaiah Whitlock Jr., Brooklyn Prince, and Christian Convery. Supporting players are Margot Martindale, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, Christopher Hebju, Hannah Hoekstra, Aluya Smart, Aaron Holiday, J.B. Moore, Leo Hanna, Kayun Kim, Scott Sice, Matthew Reese, Shane Connellan, and Connor Lambert. The ensemble is a group of fine performers who go the distance in selling this bunk. Regrettably, Cocaine Bear has the distinction of being Ray Liotta's final completed film before his death in May 2022. It seems tragic that, after such a distinguished career, this was the actor's last role. The production budget was $35 million, the majority of which was spent on CGI for the bear. One thing I can say for the material is that it is turning heads. Elizabeth Banks looks promising as a director following her successful acting career. Cocaine Bear is as much comedy as it is a monster movie. And even though the CGI bear is the real star, Banks' experience as an actress allows her to connect with the performers. And that helps her to present these underdeveloped characters in such a way that the audience can feel for and root for them. Cocaine Bear has a runtime of 1 hour and 35 minutes, but I still couldn't help glancing at my watch periodically. It's rated R as a comedy thriller. No nudity or sex, but there's a whole lot of questionable language, and it is gory to the extreme. Plus, there's a scene in which the young teens ingest drugs. This movie isn't really for kids, despite having a couple in co-starring roles. Still, if you enjoy horror and comedy, this film might be for you. I can't pretend it's a good movie, but I was entertained. One star out of four. Ulysses Campbell for Fantastic Forum. Ulysses Campbell for Fantastic Forum. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania, is the latest installment in the ongoing Marvel Cinematic Universe saga. It advances the story of Scott Lang, who assumed the Ant-Man identity from legacy hero Henry Pym. Teamed with Wasp, Hope Van Dyne, the two form the miniature superhero duo. Like a number of recent MCU entries, this movie revisits the blip plotline from Avengers Endgame. The blip is, of course, the universe-wide event where half of all living beings were eradicated by Thanos, the Mad Titan. The Mighty Avengers restored those who'd been blipped out of existence thanks to Lang and the Pym particles that power his transformations. However, the duration of the blip event was five years, during which the other half of the universe lived on. The film opens with Lang settling into his retirement as a costumed adventurer. He has published a book and is recognized as one of the heroes who saved humanity. His life is carefree, 
but for his struggle to rebuild the relationship with his daughter, Cassie. Cassie featured prominently in the first two Ant-Man movies as a little girl. She is now a rebellious teen prone to run-ins with the law. Trouble starts when a device Cassie has built to scan the quantum realm goes haywire. It sucks in her, Lang, Hope, Pym, and wife Janet, shrinking them all down and into the quantum realm. You may recall Janet had been rescued from the quantum realm in the last film after having been stranded there for decades. It seems Janet had not been entirely forthcoming about her experience while she was there. She made some friends and some enemies. In an act of desperation, an old enemy of Janet's hijacked Cassie's device and drew Lang and his friends to the quantum realm to free him as they did Janet. Can Ant-Man and the Wasp overcome this conqueror, save themselves, and rescue their family? Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania stars Paul Rudd, who reprises his role as Scott Lang. Also returning are Evangeline Lilly as Hope, Michael Douglas as Hank Pym, and Michelle Pfeiffer as Janet. Assuming the role of teenager Cassie is Catherine Newton. Jonathan Majors is villainous Kang the Conqueror. The cast is rounded out by William Jackson Harper, Katie M. O'Brien, Bill Murray, Corey Stoll, and Randall Park. Peyton Reed directs his third Ant-Man, this one from Jeff Loveless's screenplay. Christoph Beck provides a stirring musical score. Jonathan Major stands out. The actor is making a mark not only in Marvel, but in other big films this year. His performance elevates the otherwise uninspired material. Not that the other actors and actresses are phoning it in. There just isn't anything substantial with which the rest of them can leverage into something exceptional. Although Michelle Pfeiffer's character gets a pretty decent arc. This movie is entirely reliant on being part of the MCU. It draws not only from the previous Ant-Man and Avengers movies, but also Disney Plus series Loki. Viewers who aren't up to date will be at a loss. However, an attraction for the audience is the shared universe Marvel has established. Critics keep waiting for the genre to implode, but moviegoers continually return for more. And unlike the DC offerings, Marvel is consistently embraced by a broad audience. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania sticks pretty much to the established formula that has worked so well for the studio. That combination of action, comedy, special effects, and a little bit of the feels. Past a certain point, even an OG comics fan like me suffers a degree of fatigue watching these movies. I haven't reached the saturation point, but in this golden era of geeks, it's rare for me to experience any sense of wonder or achieve gratification when it comes to the MCU. It seems too much like a paint-by-numbers or movie-making-by-rote. There wasn't anything new or unique. Nor does the studio make any such promises. Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania doesn't require an outsized investment of time to watch. It runs an extremely reasonable two hours and five minutes and that goes by fairly rapidly. It's rated PG-13 for action, adventure, comedy, mystery, sci-fi, thriller. There is no nudity or sex, and questionable language is kept to a minimum. But I'd hesitate to take children younger than about 10 or 11. The quantum realm environment is really unconventional, and I'm thinking some kids might just tune out for much of the film. There are some violent scenes, but nothing too graphic. There are two post-credit scenes you'll want to hang around for. Another Marvel movie that audiences will surely enjoy. Mostly like cotton candy in that it's sweet 
but insubstantial. Two stars out of four. Ulysses Campbell for Fantastic Forum. And there you have it, the official Fantastic Forum reviews of Cocaine Bear, which opened yesterday, and Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, uh, still going strong after its first weekend release. Okay, not really. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I wrote that part before I actually heard about the fact that they're expecting this 70% drop-off <laughs> from the thing. But yes, uh, today we're talking about a topic that does continue to engage a variety of industry creatives, fans, and watchers. AI-generated art. Joining me are Emily Witten and Black Korbachev, Philip Jean-Pierre. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello. Hello. Good to be here again. Happy to have the both of you, and especially with a topic like this. I mean, oh AI-generated art. And it's, it's, it's just too bad, because we were supposed to have a perennial FF panelist, Roberto Ortiz, he uh, had a medical emergency, and I hope, uh, you know, prayers going out to him and his family. I hope everything is okay, because mm-hmm. um, we're sure missing him, because he is opinionated as all get out, but I know that Emily is pretty opinionated on this topic as well, <laughs> and uh, Black Gorbachev, I know you said you have got a lot of thoughts, too, and in fact, let's start with you and uh, what you think about this thing. Um, you know, just kind of give us, uh, you know, the, the overarching... Uh, view of uh, what you think. Okay. Let me do the original version first. Just this overview. It is not artificial intelligence. It is machine learning. AI is what you say to make it seem sexy. The difference between machine learning and AI is machine learning is literally scraping the barrel to get everything it needs and and basically just showing you what it found in a way that's pretty much what you're looking for. That's why the thing needs props. Let's get that straight. It's not AI art. It's machine-learned art from people and data. So let's start there, shall we? Um, Sounds good. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. All right, well, well, what, what else about this? You know, and, and you have made a very important distinction because, I mean, not just in terms of making it sound sexy, but I find that the terminology that is applied to a lot of these uh, popular subjects is actually very deceptive. And, Mm -hmm. you know, people, I mean, it's just like, okay, (laughs) and this is a lousy example, but I'm going to use it anyway. So, um, you know, back when uh, that orange lunatic was president, you know, he, he was talking about, you know, because... All right, climate change. And he's like, oh, global warming. But it was getting colder in this particular instance. Global, it's like, dude, they just call it global warming. It's climate change. (laughs) It doesn't mean everything is getting warm. And so a deceptive, I didn't have to use him as an example. I could have just said that. But, you know, I mean, but a deceptive term like that. So so the distinction you make is very important. Um, Continue to elaborate, please, sir. So essentially what it it comes down to is what they are, and I have to do, I like doing this example because it's a rough example, but it basically kind of does it, kind of gives an allegory to exactly what's happening. Imagine you're a guy and you have a camera in a movie theater. You record that movie. You go to six more movies. And then based on what someone sends you, you take all of those movies, splice them together into something that is that's some different based on those entire, but all those movies you found. And then he releases that money, I'm sorry, releases that movie for profit as 
something original that he scraped from all the other movie theaters he went to. So the question is, is ethically, did he collect those? Did he get those legally? Did he get permission to use those legally? And is it actually an original movie? In my opinion, just like, I don't want to get anyone else in trouble. In my opinion, that's what AI does. It takes the work of others, adapts it to pretty much a need that someone who does not have that similar ability can basically create something based off the work experiences and education. Okay. All right. Well, I'm sorry. More? No, just dedicated based on dedication of the work of other people. Okay. So, in other words, and I am going to put some words in your mouth, it's dangerous. Yeah, very much so. It can become that. It can become that, yeah. Okay, all right. Emily, I know you've got stuff to add. I do, yeah. Now, now I am going to mention, this lady is an attorney. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but I'm not giving legal advice in this instance. (laughs) I have to do the disclaimer. I was going to say, but I was was just giving that perspective. Yeah, I I appreciate that. No, but yeah, because you've got a legal perspective on Mm -hmm, this, mm -hmm. which I think is extremely valuable in this instance, too. Yeah, well, Mm -hmm. and I think think everything that was just said is spot on. Um, I think there's an ethical uh, view that needs to be looked at and a legal view and they cross over of course and so like legally i i don't disagree with what's being said here but we are in gray areas for one one reason being ai has been building for quite some time or sorry machine learning because he is correct you know like it's not it's not technically ai but it's easier to say so we may use them interchangeably but i fully agree with what was being said about defining it um but this this machine learning has been being built for some long period of time. You know, Facebook, for instance, gathering data on images and how people use things, and uh, even even doing research uh, into how Facebook could influence people's moods. Like by if they showed the person more in their stream that was negative than positive, and this is this is research from back in like 2014, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. So for some amount of time that is way longer than the most recent controversies, we have had technology s- pulling from human experience to create algorithms, which we all have our love-hate relationships with, especially like, you know, Instagram and whatever else showing you the things you think you do want or don't want, or just they make you mad, and then you're like, why did you show me this? But I'm also interested, you know. And then we get to this newer, and this is more, you know, it's been around for a while, but it's relatively explodedly new, I guess you could say, because December of 2022 was when a lot of this stuff sort of started snowballing into, like, everyone's using the new, like, the Dolly one and all the other, you know, apps that are becoming available, and everyone started realizing the culmination of all of that information gathering for all of that time, which has been culminating in the various algorithms and everything, but now it's also this art. And there are several different concerns. I'm gonna say the three Ps are the big ones for me. One is permission, another is privacy, and a third is pornography. So one thing is that artists are not giving permission for their art to be used, and yet, oh, and we can all add profit. So, you know, I'm gonna put the more Ps, Ps in there. <laughs> exactly, I don't know how many Ps there are. This is a developing area of everything, yeah. that's the point. Yeah. But 
Artists are not giving their permission for this to be used, and a number of them are actively protesting against it and filing, as I had stated in an earlier time when I was following this, I was like, class action lawsuits is one potential way to address this, and now there are class action lawsuits, and I'm like, yeah, do it, use the law for good sometimes, you know, like, do that, that's that's what it's there for, is whatever there is, we need to test it out with these legal cases and see if we can get protections that don't necessarily exist anymore uh, yet because this particular area is not well developed. So there's the permission aspect, and there's some people trying to address that. Uh, Getty has filed a lawsuit. Several artists filed a class action lawsuit. I think there are two or three class action lawsuits. They keep snowballing. There was one, now there are two, etc. And then another uh, concern is privacy, because not only are people's images being used without permission, but some people found that uh, medical files, private medical files that had images of their face were then uh, used in, there's something called Have I Been Trained? And it's a website you can go to to see if your images have been used to train these machine learning systems. And uh, one of the people who used it found that their images had been used that were in private medical files, and I believe their doctor had passed away. And somehow these files got out there in the public, and they're not the only one. So there's a privacy issue. Then there's pornography, because these machine learning systems are able to take uh, various images and create what appears to be child pornography or other types of pornography. But I'm particularly concerned with child pornography and putting those images out there. And they're not necessarily of a person. So how do we address them the way we have been addressing the inappropriateness of child pornography when it is a specific person? You know, that's a whole new area. And then, of course, profit, which we were already talking about, which is that these commercial companies are using things that have been created by others by the sweat of their pencils or whatever you want to call it, the sweat of their backs, to profit off of them and also to make junky things. Like, it's junky art. If you look closely at it, if you look from afar... It might be pretty impressive, but if you look closely at it, I've seen images where it's like, that guy is missing a leg, but you don't notice it right away, but then if you stare at it, it's... So there are so many concerns, but I wanted to uh, see if uh, anybody wants to add since I've been going on for a while. Those, those are some thoughts. Well, but I tell you, and, and you know, have no fear. I would, <laughs> I would interrupt you. Yes, yes, fair enough, fair enough. No, but, um, but again, just like Black Gorbachev, you know, there. I mean, all the stuff you were raising was very relevant. Now, okay, so I suppose on this particular panel, I am, um, you know, because uh, y- y- both of you have some area of expertise related to this thing, and I'm more uh, sort of Mr. Everyman when it comes <laughs> to this, at least in the sense that watching people use it, because uh, the biggest use I've seen so far is people... Are they're they're sending their images to whatever site and letting the AI go through them, and they're getting these real slick images back that they're posting as their profile pictures and all this. And uh, I mean, I was I, I I mean I was getting ready to do it, and then I couldn't figure out how to make it work, and I was like, I ah, screw this. But then a close friend of mine sent my images to the thing and sent me them, <laughs> and I was like, oh wow, and I was kind of torn, but I wasn't going to use it, <laughs> only because I, I think that there are these ethical issues in, in terms of this. Um, uh, Black Gorbachev, I'm going to come to you in just a second, but the one thing that I want to throw out there is. 
Apparently, and I just saw this article, the U.S. Copyright Office has ruled that AI-generated artwork, or what we were calling machine learning-generated artwork, uh, the content that's created uh, through that is not legally protected. So I, I guess, I mean, that's like another leg in this three or however many legged stool we're talking about. And, and I mm. noticed that's an article from yesterday because uh, Yuli's got it up here on the screen. I haven't even seen that yet, so I'm going to read that. I, I haven't been able to acquaint myself yet with the Copyright Office's ruling here. I, I actually mm. read that. Oh, cool. Oh. And it's, really, it's really specific. I was so thinking way, it must be narrow. Yeah, oh, it's really narrow. Essentially, the creator of the comic the concept, the words they wrote, the layout and the construction, that copyright they still own. The actual images created through, and I'll mention their name, Midjourney, from the images that were developed by prompts, do not count across that because it fails the test of being created by a human. Like it's hmm. really technically, they still have huh. it. It, it. That's the line right there. That's where they failed. The, the dialogue is all I assume the person is. Everything else in it, but the images used are protected. So what I'm hearing here, not having read the article yet, is that this is actually could be beneficial to human artists because it turns out that the copyright office here is saying that the AI, the machine generated, machine learning generated art that let's say is now a book cover for a sci-fi novel is not protected. Mm -hmm. So anyone can use that book cover and the company would nece wouldn't necessarily have a recourse uh, if you wanted to then use their book cover, which is on, let's say, a best-selling book because maybe the actual book is good and hopefully not written by ChatGPT. And, um, and so they're, you know, they've got this famous book that's out on the bestseller list and the AI, uh, the machine learning art is the front cover. And now everyone could use that and not have to worry about fair use defenses or anything is possibly what's what can be extrapolated from here. I haven't read the article yet, but that sounds like a possibility. That is that is what I thought. That's what I thought the same thing as well. Mm -hmm. like that, which basically Quite interesting. Yeah. Well, I like the idea that humans have rights and machines have less yeah <laughs> you know? I, mean, <laughs> I mean that's that's it that's something i want to get into mm -hmm. um because one thing i think we really need to look at is the definition as we were talking about before of machine learned or ai or whatever people refer to it as even though i agree that it is machine learning and one distinction i see because there there are machine learning things that i am not against and I'm not, I'm not even against like everything to do with any of this stuff ever, but I am against how it's being implemented right now f across the board, basically. Mm -hmm. But yeah. one hey, thing hey, I'm... Hold, hold oh, that thought we're going to pause. Well, yeah, only that musical cue <laughs> means that it's time for us to take a short break because, of course, Fantastic Forum comes to you via WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. We're a community radio station. We're non-commercial, among other things. That means that we rely on you, our listeners, if we are going to keep the lights on and the doors open. And therefore, I would like you to make it your business to visit the website at WERA.FM or that of our parent organization, Arlington Independent Media, at ArlingtonMedia.org and find out how you can make your tax-deductible gift in support of community media, community radio, today, I guarantee you it will make you feel good. And there is no machine learning or artificial intelligence involved. <laughs> so that is a big plus. 
So stick around because uh, we are going to pause momentarily for some promotional spots for some other wonderful WERA programs that you can hear coming up. Uh, Also, we're going to talk a little bit about something that you can do here because it isn't just what you can do for us. The organization can do things for you. We've got classes. There's ways for you to get involved. If you would like to have your very own radio program on FM radio, you can find out how to do that as well. So we're going to do those things, but stick around because uh, Philip and Emily and I will be back with more Fantastic Forum right after this. Don't go away. And we're back here on the Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming via WERA.FM. We are Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Emily Witten and Black Gorbachev, Philip Jean-Pierre. And when we took the break, we were talking a little bit about, well, I describe it as everybody's favorite topic, but it really <laughs> isn't. Some people are interested in, well, they're into who knows what in the heck they're interested in, but uh, machine learning art, better known as AI-generated art. An important distinction was made by panelist Philip Jean-Pierre because he said it isn't really artificial intelligence. And and again, one of the yet, uh, yet another mistaken term that is misleading and uh, people extrapolating based on what it's called but it's actually got nothing to do with that. Anyway, um, so, Philip, there was, because uh, we were uh, talking a little bit about this in the break, and uh, Philip, you had, well, everybody's got points they got to make, but there was something very interesting that you were sh- saying, and please share that. Yeah, this piggybacks on Emily's comment about the P's being missing. The, the machine learning, which is a terribly thirsty beast for data, has no qualms where it gets its data and sometimes how it gets its data. So it will take anything. And because the way it captures its data is considered, and I'll be gentle, sucks, there is a term <laughs> called data, that's literally called data laundering, where basically it's a practice of basically taking the, taking the data and making it more ostensibly making it making a setup to be more legal for a legitimate databases to use. Basically it's just obscuring or like you remove or you basically kind of like like you do with the money then. You remove the provenance of where that data came from and then go, hey, it's brand new data that we found in the desert somewhere far away. You can use it. So that but that process becomes a problem because the more it needs more data to keep going and at some point permission does get in the way of that and firewalls get in the way of that and at a certain point you have to be worried they may they may not care about those firewalls that is an assumption on my part i'm not saying that's the case 
Don't sue me. Mm. Well, no, I think that's a really interesting point. And actually, it's it goes back also to the point, the earlier point I was making about how the legal world has not caught up with this technology. Because, Philip, what you're talking about is analogous in some ways to the orphan works uh, in copyright law, where if you have found, like, let's say a photo on the Internet, but you can't tell the provenance, you don't know where it's from, you know, there are certain responsibilities for actions you have to take before you can go ahead and use that work to try to find out where it's come from. And that is an area of law that's developed under uh, over enough years that back in law school, that was one of my like senior thesis or type of papers that I wrote was on the copyright law and orphan works. So it's been around for years. And yet, um, in this context, it's a totally different process of how this this uh, the images or the other data is being pulled and there's nothing to address the you know guardrails on how the the machine is pulling that information so i think that's a really interesting uh, important point to make that also goes to the legal aspect where we have to look at how are we going to address these issues that are similar ethically to things that have been around forever but not mechanically and technically similar to those things. So I think that's really important. And I also, through that, I also want to look at the technical divide between machine learning that we've all used for years that seems very simple, such as spell check or that thing where, you know, your outlook will suggest the next word in the sentence versus taking these bits of information and creating, quote unquote, something different or generating, let's say generating something different, because I don't consider it to be creation in the way that we think about human creation. So just like we're saying machine learning versus AI, we can say it's generated by the machine. So, you know, one of the things that I think is important to think about is some of these tools are useful, but what we need to look at ethically and also functionally is the context of what what the where the product is coming from. So for instance, you know, your spell check it just it's like okay, it just the dictionary says this and the word is, you know, in the dictionary and it's comparing to what you spell and it's saying oops, you spelled it wrong. Okay, that's basically just a functional comparison. So it's not doing anything extra, it's just kind of comparing the two things. Whereas at the other end of the spectrum, you have this this generated thing that, that looks different than something you've seen before. And as a uh, consumer and or a creator, I don't know what's happened. I don't know that it's that it's so it's not as simple. So I, I really think I mean, that's it's a complex area to look at because it's a spectrum. And as an attorney, uh, you know, I work with tools like Relativity or other data processing tools where they do things like deduplication and it's like a comparison process versus then if they were to, you know, create an entire new or generate an entire new, um, you know, uh, field of what is uh, responsive. It's something something we use in the legal field. You know, if you, if you ask, uh, I want all documents like this, the machine might say, well, based on what you have input, this is what's responsive. And so then there's this, this spectrum of different tools that we use in the legal world. And at a certain point, you know, it becomes a different kind of thing and the context becomes important. Whereas at the beginning where it's spell check, I don't think the context is that important. We know what's happening. It's not, it's a simple comparison. You know, so I, I I'd be interested in your thoughts on that. Um, you kind of hit it. The component is the human, mm-hmm. right? 
you hit the point where it's context in the management of humans. Because you, in your brilliant way, touched on another concept that I wanted to talk about, was the fact that everyone seems to think that artists hate AI art because it's like it's, a mach- it's done by a machine. We don't because if you look at artists, creatives, not artists, but anyone who's creative, mm-hmm. we have always embraced a way of becoming better through advancement, technology, and innovation. Mm-hmm. So, so most of the art that we love, most of the music, most of the writing, everything started off with someone going, I wish the typewriter was more of a computer so it's easier to kind of work with. <laughs> and the artist was like, I wish I had something that I could actually transfer to, not just paper, like Photoshop. Mm-hmm. We have always embraced that type of technology and use it as a tool. Right. However, what's happening right now is AI art, in lieu of actually, I guess for lack of a better word, um, the concept of human, I want to say management, but kind of like going through the filter of humanity basically kicks off the humans and basically just say, this is art. Yeah, well, and I think... I think you're saying using it as a tool is is the really that's that's a key point. Also, as as an attorney, I, I always am like, don't say everyone because not everyone, not everyone's gonna like that. Um, those absolutes will get you. But the thing that I will say is, let's yeah. say you are an artist who's not one of the everyone who's not who's like, I don't like Photoshop. You know what? You can do your traditional art. You know, you t- do your painting or your sketching or whatever it is, and not be harmed by the Photoshop because if another artist is using the Photoshop stuff they're producing a specific kind of art that they have used photoshop for whereas if you're using you're producing your traditional art you're producing that and people can look at those things and be like this artist made this and i like it this artist made that and i like it i like both no problem the context is there that it's like a person created this thing i i'm enjoying this thing and the photoshop use or not photoshop use doesn't harm the other artist so i think that's really important Mm -hmm. because it being used as a tool is not replacing the functionality of the creative mind and the creative soul. Let's be let's be a little esoteric here and say creative soul and is not replacing, you know, the art that is being created by a human. So I, I do think it's important to say both in the legal field, as I was talking about, and the artistic field and any of these fields where machine learning is being looked at, it can be a useful tool. You know, I'm not against any machine learning. I own a computer. I use my spell check sometimes, even though sometimes it's wrong. You know, and that's the thing, too. You need a human to be like, is this right or wrong? Is Should there be a leg in that guy's, you know, uh, machine learning generated art? <laughs> so, but I, it's a great point you're making about the tool aspect of it. And that, you know, artists aren't protesting against that. They're protesting against the... I think there's a range of things, but one is the soullessness, one is the theft, one is the, uh, you know, hey, this thing is going to machine learn my style, and instead of it taking, let's say, 10 years for someone to, you know, study my style and other styles that they like, and then create their own style based on that, within 15 minutes, this has pulled all my art and made something that's not really that great but is in the range of the style I have developed over years and has done none of the work except for you know crunching some data and has no there's there's nothing behind it and that's where that context is important to me as a consumer as well as a creator is having like I said the artistic soul the human experience well let, let me let me interject something here because 
uh, I have not seen that much of this stuff. I mean, it's been mainly limited to what I've seen uh, on social media, you know, people using these very stylized um, uh, images of themselves for their profile pictures. But I am aware of uh, the imperfect nature of a lot of this stuff where, you know, I mean, a <laughs> right hand now. will have seven fingers or, right. you know, they'll leave, leave out a leg or something. But uh, what confuses me as a layperson looking at all this is... Um, so, all right. So, so, so you're telling me that these machines, simply through the internet, can access all of this work that exists, and basically scan it and incorporate it into their memory banks to be able to extrapolate somehow. And use it, even if it isn't something creative. I mean, is is that Philip? Is that is that my understanding of what's yeah, happening it's, here? It's basically based on prompts by the individual. Because I would let's say something like this: I would like to have an image of a monkey holding a glass of water, sitting on a duck on Mount Everest. <laughs> it will it will generate that image. That process has become so regularly used. There is a term called prompt engineer mm. and the concept that's all it is it essentially extrapolates the version you want and I'm not sure that the entire process but essentially it takes those words based on what you want and it copies it in a style of when in this case we'll say a baroque, a baroque style based on say a Caravaggio and it will create that image for you multiple times over and to the point where if you want, it will also copy Caravaggio's signature on your <laughs> art to create as well. Mm. That is what the data does. Yeah, and, and sometimes it'll pull from artists and you'll see pieces of their signature incidentally in the work, even though they, it, it shouldn't be, because this, you know, it is it is faulty. So it's 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 faulty to the point where it's literally recreating what is what is ever on that page. And if that portions of it, it yeah, yeah, I was going to say, and if that section has a part of the signature, okay, it, right. sometimes it could be or it could blur it together. I mean, they 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 don't all function ex exactly the same to provide the same output mm. but it is analogous when you're describing it to like if you were a librarian you're very familiar with a boolean search which also is something that you use in the legal field and it's a series of uh you know terms strung together with ifs ands whatever's quote quotes and parentheses mm -hmm. to say you know i want this word within 50 words of that word uh and the you know something else and it and it will then pull stuff we use it in finding stuff on westlaw you know, like we use it to find cases that are mm. relevant to our cases that we are doing. And it's, it is it is imperfect as well. But something that's different is we use it, again, as a tool. And then we, the human lawyers, are reviewing it to say, does this case actually have anything to do with the case I'm arguing right now? Does it actually have anything to do with what I need? Mm. But this is a different thing yeah, where it, it just like pushes the... everything together and makes a mush. Yeah, and the AI could probably use some sort of uh, human oversight. But look, um, in in the uh, few minutes we have left, something I had wanted to ask about, and this was actually something that you had mentioned during the break, Emily, because there was something about um, people who can't draw using yeah, this. Yeah. Yeah. So what was what was that you were I, saying? I am morbidly fascinated by this argument. I do not understand. I understand it, but I also do not understand it. So I've seen people arguing that this is a great thing for people who can't art. 
So basically, oh, I, I can't create visual art, but now I can create visual art. And I understand what they're saying, but to me, what they're saying is, I want to be internet famous. That is what I see. I see those same people who used to be like, look at me, I've done some weird thing on the internet, and now I've got my 15 minutes of fame, I'm special, being like, look at me, now I have made a thing that everybody can look at with the minimal amount of work. Like, I'm famous for being famous, essentially, but in the art context. And people are arguing that at the same time as they should be able to be like, look at my great thing I've done, they should also be able to steal everybody else's great things they've done, and through no work of their own other than this string of prompts, quote-unquote, create new art, generate a thing, and be like, look, I'm an artist now. And it's, it's fascinating because I get it, I would love it if everybody in the world loved me for everything that I could do, and that would be like I wrote a play, and I and I skated, you know, uh, I, I skied the biggest mountain, and I climbed all this stuff. But you have to work hard to do that stuff. There's a reason why people revere people who can do amazing things, because they have worked hard to do the amazing thing. And this is a group of people who wants to take from the people who have worked hard to do something that other people appreciate and then make it themselves. And what I see as the main benefit they're getting is other people going, ooh, look at that thing you did. Mm. That's what I'm mm. seeing. What is their, what's, their, what's their mental and emotional profit? I'm not mm. even talking about the money at this point, which is an issue. But what is mm. their emotional profit from this? They're emotionally being like, I am now accomplished. But they haven't done any of the work to get to the accomplishment. And that fascinates me. Mm -hmm. Why do you want to be like that? What mm -hmm. is the point? It's it. Mm -hmm. Someone else, I was listening to a podcast about this subject because this is really key in stuff I'm doing right now. And they were saying, like, it takes all the joy out of something that's that's one of the biggest joys in our in our mm -hmm. in our human life, which is creation. And it takes all the joy out of it. And so the person who's using this because they want to be a quote unquote artist is skipping all the steps skipping all the joy and anguish of learning how to do your craft, which is really one of the best things. I mean, I love doing crafts as well as writing, as well as painting. You know, it's like it mentally relaxes you. It puts you in a different state. Mm -hmm. It opens your mind to different ways of looking at things. And they're missing all of that just to take someone else's stuff, mush it up, and say, look, I did a thing. <laughs> I don't get it. I yeah, get it, but attention. I don't get it. Yeah. Okay, well, Oof. look. All right, so... Um I, 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 I it kinda do make wanna, me mad. I, well, I can understand <laughs> that. So, so I, I kind of want to bottom line this thing in that, um, you know, we're we're gonna. I appreciate when people take a stand on things. You know, <laughs> it's like it's like the way I feel about TikTok. No, I'm against TikTok. It's like a Chinese plot or whatever. So, um, here's here's the thing. All right, um, machine learning, uh, so-called AI generated art. Uh, for it, against it, is it good, is it bad, is there some way to fix it? Um, Philip, what do you think? Is it, Are you for it or against it, first? I'm against it, but for oh. so, uh, everything we just said, perfectly true. Okay, all right. Um, is it dangerous? Yes, but that's the way people are, in most facts. But I think the most harmful way it is, is it does not allow for art to grow. Excellent point. Because it captures the way a specific style is at a specific point, we do not see art. We will not get an artist culture that evolves to become better. Here's an example. Bill Sienkiewicz is literally one of, and I, I will say, I will die on his heel, one of the most brilliant artists to come out of a generation. When he started, his stuff looks nothing like it does 
right now. Mm-hmm. He he is a master class in the evolution of an artist. You don't get that with machine learning. That's a human learning, growing, having experience, contextualizing that experience, and then putting it on a paper, digitally, or whatever he wants to do it on. That's the problem with this machine learning art. Hmm. All right. Is there a way to fix it? To stop using it as a replacement and actually allow artists to use it for what it is and stop letting toxic capitalism, which might be redundant, um, pretty much getting the idea that you can just replace an artist because you are literally, um, you're, you're, you're devaluing art. And this is where all that comes from. They just think they don't understand that art is made for the way it is because it's made by humans. It, is, it shouldn't be something you make in a machine. Because like you said, what do you get out of it? You just dehumanize the effort. It needs to be recognized as a tool and not a replacement for actual artists. Mm, okay. All right. Uh, M, we got about 90 seconds. All right, all First right. is, are you for it or against it? I am I'm against it as it currently okay. stands. Okay, all right. Okay. Um, is so, it dangerous? It can be dangerous as it currently stands. The way to address that is to look at it and I use it in an ethical part. and legal way. You're only giving me 90 <laughs> seconds. Ethical and legal legal way, legally legally acceptable, ethically acceptable, and we need to allow it to to uh, we can't we can't let it grow beyond the legality of it. We need to look at it as it is and deal with it before it gets too big for us to even handle. And it's it's already if we don't go back and wipe the slate clean it's already stolen art it's already done that so how do we address it it's going to be hard i do think it's dangerous i think it needs to be addressed legally and ethically and i think that's really important and i would love to say one little thing about that which is in the last few days the stanford human-centered artificial intelligence uh unit within stanford university there's a computer science grad student who has created something called detect gpt which can determine with up to 95 percent accuracy whether one of these language models wrote like an essay or social media post. And so it is a tool that has been developed to determine whether in the language context somebody's been using ChatGPT, that that open AI thing that can generate like an essay for your homework. And I think that it's important to uh, recognize that these these tools hopefully are going to come out of what is being done now. People are seeing the danger of not knowing that context. And so even though that's not in the art realm, that's one of the things, along with the lawsuits, along with all this other stuff, that really needs to be looked at so that we can try to address this legally and ethically, provide context, not steal, not let people profit from others' sweat. It, it just, yeah, it is dangerous, it is wrong, but it could be dealt with to be, as Philip said, a tool. I agree with everything he said. Hmm. Hmm. That is... <laughs> you gave me 90 seconds. No, 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 I hear you. And, yeah. and, and you did you did pretty well with that, I gotta say. You know? um, okay, so clearly, there's really a lot to this, and uh, I, I, hey, we missed Roberto, but not yeah. really! I mean, you guys, you guys chopped it up here in terms of in terms of this, and and if you're somebody listening who actually uses one of these uh, machine learning things, um, well, I'll just say shame on you, and uh, you know you should do better. So, um, something I just want to pivot back to real quick, uh, Emily. You said there was a site. Have I been trained? Yes. Have I been trained? I think yes. it's just have I been trained dot com. Okay. Yeah. And so you can find out if. The machine has been culling your stuff. Yep. 
And you know? eventually this detect GPT will be available, I think, for the for the text context of it as mm. well. They're still working on it. Mm, mm, mm. So well, good. Yeah, I tell you what, you know. We need to know where it's coming from. We do. Absolutely. Well, look, hey, that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank my panelists and you, too, for having tuned in. Of course, Fantastic Forum is also a television show. You can actually watch it if you happen to be in Montgomery County, Maryland. Uh, check your local listings. Or you can go straight to the source. Go to the website at fantasticforum.tv. We've actually got complete episodes. We've got all the segments broken out. Uh, the radio show airs not only in first run at 4 p.m. every Saturday, we re-air on Sundays, also at 4 p.m. right here on WERA. The radio show is available as a podcast thanks to our friends at the Great Geek Refuge. You can find it on all the pop plat- all the platforms where you find your favorite podcasts. You can download it, take it with you, tell your friends. We love to hear from you. Uh, email me at producer at fantasticforum.tv. Tell us what you think. And, uh, of course, come back again same bat time, same bat station. We'll be here. We hope you will be too. And uh, don't don't steal people's stuff. It's just unbecoming. Have a great weekend, people.